when you when you look at the life of Jacob, I would think it'd be fair to say that his life represents a long, windy road. We have been spending our time looking at his life and so much of what is recorded for us in his life is everything that happened after he has to run from home for his life because he has uh, stolen the blessing and Esau is is ready to kill him. And now Jacob for decades has been away from home, but God has been using this time to transform Jacob and has been using this time to mold him and move him from being Jacob, whose name means swindler and heel catcher, to now becoming Israel, the one who struggles with God and prevails. And this is really the the final sequence for Jacob in the book of Genesis, that Yes, you will still read a little bit more about Jacob later on. We'll read about him in regards more to Joseph, and we will read more of him about his sons and sending uh, them down to Egypt as well as the blessings in chapter 49. But really, after chapter 36, the focus of Genesis moves its attention to to Joseph and away from, from Jacob and his life. So what you have here in these final two chapters regarding Jacob is Really, I debated between the title between recentering life and coming home because this is now Jacob coming full circle. He is now able to bring his life back to where it started again. It is a recentering to be able to walk with God after all of these decades of, of being away from home and ultimately questioning where he belongs in God's plan. So we're going to look at these two chapters and and notice how God made Jacob ready to be able to be this patriarch, to be the one that could now be Israel through whom the nations would be blessed. You have your Bibles in Genesis 35, and I'd just like for you to look at verse 1. Genesis 35 and verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there, And build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Jacob. Once you notice that you have God coming to to Jacob and says, it is now time to go to Bethel. Now, Bethel is not an insignificant place in the life of Jacob. It's been a while since we've looked at this, but back in chapter 28, so Right after the scene of Jacob leaving his family and running for his life, as Jacob is on his way to go to Laban and to live there and being rescued from Esau's hand, you might remember that you have a place where Jacob falls asleep and has a dream of a staircase in which angels are ascending and descending. And that dream was very important because there were two key messages that God communicated to Jacob in that dream. Number one, the place where Jacob was, which he's going to name as Bethel, is the land that God is going to give to Jacob and his offspring. But not only that, then God also made a promise that wherever Jacob goes, that God is going to be with him and bring him safely back to this point. Now, I want you to think, it's been decades I know it's only been like a few chapters in our Bibles, but it's been decades since God said those words. 
that this will be the place you and your offspring will, will live and that I am going to go with you and I'm going to safely bring you back to this very spot. And you might remember how chapter 28 ended is that then Jacob makes a very important vow and says, if the Lord will do this and provide for me and protect me, then the Lord will be my God. And remember, we have been observing through the life of Jacob that the majority of the time, Jacob does not call the Lord his God, but rather the God of his father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham. And it is only at the very end that you start seeing Jacob say, this is my God. In fact, it is the scene with Esau that he finally sees that God has been with him and is able to then comprehend that God is going to keep these words, be faithful to him, carry out his promises. And now he was ready in verse one, God tells him, it is now time to go to Bethel. It is time for God to bring him finally full circle for this long winding road that he has had in his life. I think it's worth thinking about that, you know, sometimes I think when we think of the people in scriptures and we call them, you know, the heroes of faith as they're listed in Hebrews 11. And sometimes we can read about them and think about them that their lives were just this straight line of faith and, and not see that this has been a really windy path that God has had to take Jacob on to finally move him now to be back at Bethel after all of this time, decades later, to get him to this very spot. In fact, you see the change that Jacob has had now over this time when you notice that Jacob's response in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. I want you to notice that Jacob now understands something. That if God is now going to be the center of his life and he is going to come back to where it all began and that God is now going to be his God, he understands that before he gets to Bethel, he needs to push the restart button and have a purification take place. He understands that purification is necessary. And again, I hope this gives you a little bit of a window into the thinking of Jacob because you might be surprised to read in verse 2 that Jacob has to tell the household it's time to get rid of the foreign gods. You might have thought, well, we took care of that a long time ago, right? No, we haven't. This has been a part of his family and a part of his household during all of this time and during all of this journey with not only his wives, but also his children and also his servants. Remember, he is quite an entourage by this point because God has richly blessed him. And yet, in spite of that, and even though Jacob has been moving closer and closer to God, you see there are still some sins that needed to be purified. And Jacob goes, okay, we're going to go to Bethel. God is bringing us full circle. He's been with us this whole journey. And so here's what needs to happen. We need to get rid of these foreign gods. We need to purify ourselves. And you have to like the imagery there in verse 2 when it says, and change our clothes. 
And you've got to go, what, why do we need to change our clothes? I, I hope you think of the symbolism. That, you know, that, that really symbolizes the whole fresh start idea. That it, we are now going to start over. We're going to bury the gods, which is what you see him do in verse 4. He gathers all of the foreign gods and buries them under the tree. So we're going to be purified in, in, in that respect. We're going to get our clothes clean so that we are ready to now go before God and go to the place where God first made all of these promises. In fact, you will notice in verse 3 that, that Jacob is acknowledging the faithfulness of God at this point. When he says to his household here that we're going to go up to Bethel, I'm going to build an altar. But notice the reason why. It says there in verse 3, Who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. You know, he understands something. Way back when, decades ago, God said, I'm going to be with you wherever you go, and I'm going to bring you back to this place. And I would suppose in our minds, we would have been like, okay, maybe it's going to be a year or so like that. Here we are decades later now, decades later. And now he's seen God has been with him, that God has been faithful, that God has kept his promises And what I want you to notice in verse 3 is that is ultimately what is driving his worship. And I hope that we would realize that that's really the heart of worship. That the reason why we want to worship and why we have a response of worship is not because we can run to a passage somewhere where God says, you know, don't forsake the assembly and make sure that you guys get together sometime. But for this... Because we are acknowledging that God has been with us, that God has been faithful to us, that God has answered us, and we want to respond in praise. And that's what Jacob says. We're going to go back to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar there. We're going to praise the Lord because he's answered me in the day of my distress. He's looking all the way back to when Esau was trying to kill him. And has provided for him and has protected him and has cared for him and has been with him every step of the way. And he says, so we're going to worship God and we're going to get rid of these foreign gods. And that's why we're going to be faithful to God is because he has been so good to us and because he has been so faithful to us. And so this is the picture of worship. We are driven by the fact that God cares for us. We are driven into worship because we see that God has been faithful to us and has answered us. In fact, God's not done with that. You'll notice in verse 5, it says, So then they set out after they've buried their idols in verse 4. And it says that the terror of God fell on the towns and all around them so that no one pursued them. So here we're going to go to Bethel, and there's probably some importance with this. Remember, chapter 34 was not a good chapter. Tough times, big difficulties with the people and what they've done and what has happened to his family. And so here is a statement that God is going to protect him and going to take him all the way home. He's going to finish this journey and he sees that the hand of God is in that. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is we're given a unique perspective. In verse five, we're told that the reason why none of the towns and none of the regions and none of the peoples caused Jacob and his family any trouble while he's making the rest of his journey to Bethel is because it was God's hand. 
The terror of God was upon those people so that they, when they saw them, they were like, we are not going to touch them. We are not going to do anything about that. We're going to let them be and they're going to travel in peace. And I kind of wonder that if you didn't know God saying, hey, that was me, how we have such a tendency to go, wow, how fortunate of us. We were just so lucky that we had such a wonderful trip and that nothing happened and we made it safely and not realize it was God who was doing it the whole time. And that's what you have here in Jacob's life. It was the hand of God, that God was the reason why that they were safe. And it wasn't just simply, oh, well, things just kind of worked out, but God himself took care of him. Now, I can't read, unfortunately, all the rest of this chapter, but I want to highlight some things for you that happen in in chapter 35. And what I would like to do is just sum it up this way. Just because God has been with him doesn't mean things are going to be really easy for him. That you are now going to read in the rest of chapter 35, essentially a lot of pain, hardship, trouble, and loss. For example, in verse 8, we are told that Rebecca's nurse dies. She apparently has been with them in all of these travels and she now dies. Then we are told in verses 16 through 19 that the wife that Jacob loved, Rachel, she now dies in childbirth and in giving and bearing Benjamin. We're also told a horrifying scene that takes place where Reuben, who is the oldest son of Jacob, he decides to go sleep with Jacob's concubine. We're not told the reason why. We don't know if this is just an act of desire and, and sinfulness or if this is similar to when uh, Absalom did such a thing to, to David as a way of usurping his father's power. Doesn't tell us the reason why, but it is interesting when you get to Jacob's blessings at the end of his life, Reuben is disqualified from having a blessing because of this act. Jacob will say of Reuben, though he is strong, he is unstable like water, and he will not have preeminence nor excel because of this act. And so this is interesting because we don't have time, but you want you to think about, so here's Reuben disqualified. Remember, Simeon and Levi have been disqualified because of what they did in last chapter of just exterminating a whole city of males which leads the fourth son, Judah, to be the son through which the blessings of God are going to come. In fact, Christ is going to come through Judah because you have the first three who've been disqualified in that because of their sins. And so here's the reasoning why with that. Now, here's what I want you to think about. In this really condensed text, here is people dying People committing sins, horrible actions happen. Things are now terrible as it's unfolding in Jacob's life. And I just want to ask you a question. Since all these bad things were happening, happening as Jacob is on his way to Bethel, does that mean that God has left him? You know, if you have enough bad things happen, especially when it does feel like dominoes falling one after another of difficulty and pain and loss and sinned against horribly, that you kind of think, hey, wait a minute, where's God? I I thought he was with me. I thought we were together in this journey. And here we are nearing the finale of this winding road for Jacob's life to come finally back to Bethel. 
And I want you to see a number of awful things happen. But let's answer the question if Jacob, if God is with Jacob. Notice what we're told in verse 9 of chapter 35. In chapter 35 and verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. I want you to see that here is God coming to Jacob and he's in the middle of all this. He's already lost the nurse. He's about to lose his wife. He's about to deal with Reuben. And yet in the middle of all of this going on, God appears to Jacob and says, I'm blessing you. And I'm confirming every single promise that I made to you. They're all going to come to pass. Not one of them is going to fail. You are wrestles with God and prevails. No longer swindler and cheat. Jacob, you are now that one. And I am with you and I am coming through and blessing you. And so one of the the big messages that that I want us to see, and we'll get to some applications in a few minutes, but just some big applications here is to think about God being with his people doesn't mean that they're free from the problems of life. You know, here God at the very beginning made a promise. I'm going to be with you, provide for you, protect you. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going to bring you full circle, maybe back in this place. You're going to inherit all of my promises that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. And yet that didn't mean that his life was going to be free from problems. In fact, when you read Jacob's life, I don't think anybody of, would, of us would raise our hand and go, yeah, I want that life. That is, it's pretty rough. He goes through a lot. He's separated from home. He has a brother that hates him. He has an uncle that cheats him. He is trying to make his way back. And now he loses his wife that he loves in, in childbirth. He has his oldest son defiling his household. Things look like they're falling apart. And yet in the middle of all that, It doesn't mean that God is not with us. To to put that another way, as God is at work in recentering the life of Jacob and transforming him into the way God wants him to be, to be this Israel rather than Jacob, it did not mean that Jacob was not going to go through some really hard things. That he was not going to go through some really hard things. And yet, in fact, even in the fact that God will take you through some really hard things and you can experience some pretty big losses and you can have some really painful moments and some really hard times, God is still going to carry you through the difficulties. You have to love that in the midst of this chapter, dead center in the midst of this chapter is God coming to Jacob and confirming all of the promises and saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you these promises, even though you are going to go and walk through some really hard times. 
Let me state that one more different way. I wanted to put this up four different ways. So here's the final one. That you can end up taking a real, this really long winding road, it feels like. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that God isn't with you. And you can feel like you're out in the wilderness for 20, 30 years, like Jacob was. And that doesn't mean that God is ultimately not with you. Now let's talk about some applications with this. I was, you know, I was reflecting on Jacob's life and I thought about um, the song Amazing Grace because there's a particular verse within it that says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And I thought, I think Jacob wrote those words because that is exactly his life summary. He is gone through toils and pain and dangers and snares and loss. He goes, I've already come through all of those things. And yet the rest of the verse is so accurate that the songwriter gave, tis grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Because this is what is happening ultimately in Jacob's life, is that he is on this long winding road and that God is now bringing him full circle and that didn't mean that God wasn't with him, that grace has kept him safe this far and grace is going to lead him home. Four things I want to do for a takeaway then. Number one, in looking at the life of Jacob, <clears throat> let me say it this way. Number one, go where God wants you to go. Now here's what I mean by that. It is very easy to get upset at the process, to get frustrated by the journey, and to get frustrated by the length of the journey. It is a journey of transformation that God puts us on. And in every way, what God does is he works in our lives as he takes us all down different paths to be transformed by his grace. You know, even within looking around the room, none of our paths of faith look the same. They are all different in length, different in number of curves, different in challenges, different in toils and snares and all of that. That God will take us on all of these different journeys. And you want to know what I want to do? I like to look at other people's paths and go, why can't I be on that one instead of the one I'm on? <laughs> I like how theirs looks. It looks a lot easier than the path that I'm having to walk right now. And that's why the first point is to go where God wants you to go. It is easy to get frustrated and angry and upset about the path that God is taking us on. And the curves that we have to go. But ultimately, God is bringing us this way for a reason. Number two, in the process of going where God wants us to go, get rid of what God wants you to get rid of in your life. One of the things that I think is so amazing to think about Jacob is just how stunning the transformation is. He is so self-centered at the beginning of our study, who is 
you have a brother coming to you and saying, boy, I'm famished. Are you making some really great stew? And Jacob's answer is, sure, I'll help you out. Just sell me your birthright. You know, thanks a lot, brother. I mean, what, what a guy. You, you start off with that being the first thing you learn about him. And now you have seen him be so transformed that now he's the, the head of his family and saying, it's time to get rid of our foreign idols. It is time to purge our lives. It's time to cleanse ourselves because we're going to go to Bethel and we're going to worship God. Well, that's a, a quite a far difference from what we first saw with this man. And so what you see Jacob learning is to get rid of the temptations, get rid of the idols, purify our hearts. I like how the writer of Hebrews words this because he words it in a way that I've always been been captured that he doesn't just say, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 verse 1, get rid of the sins that cling so closely and run the race that's set before you with endurance. There's this other phrase that has always caught my eye. Because it's not just simply sins that will trip you up and keep you from running with endurance. But he also just describes it as get rid of every weight and the sin. Which to me says the weights aren't sin. The weights are just things in life that hold you back. They're just the things that you carry as baggage that keep you from running the race with endurance. And it's not just simply we need to purge the idols and purge the sin, but that we also just need to look at our lives and consider what baggage are we running with that we don't need to run with. That as we go on this journey that God is taking us and taking in this path, what are some of the things in our lives that we need to just let go of? Things that aren't necessarily sin or immoral, but just things that just keep us from drawing closer to God. And so go where God wants you to go. Get rid of what God wants you to get rid of in your life. So much of the journey is about seeing what God is exposing in your heart and telling you to purge and telling you to get rid of. Number three, and then worship God because he's been with you every step of the way. One of the great things about taking this long winding road is Jacob is able to look back at his life and he is able to say with all certainty that this God that he is going to worship answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me everywhere I have gone. And friends, that is true of God in your life. Now, I suppose if you wanted to, you could look down in Jacob's life and you'd go, yeah, but it didn't really look like God was with you when that happened and when that happened and when that happened and when Laban was really terrible and he tried to cheat you and run you out and when he really cheated you about, you know, giving you the wrong woman that you were supposed to marry or when Esau's trying to kill, it doesn't look like God's been with you at these certain points in time. But I want you to see that Jacob's able to look back with all the ups and downs and all the pain and all the curves in his life and say, you know what? He's been there every step of the way. And the reason he's going to worship God is because he's able to see that everywhere he's been, God's been with him. Which leads to finally then, be ready to finish 
the long journey because you don't know how God's going to end it. I'm going to read to you how this ends for Jacob's life, at least in terms of this section that is devoted to Jacob. And I wonder if you think Jacob thought this would be how it would all play out when he was running for his life from Esau and first met God in that dream. Go to the end of chapter 35. And in verse 27, we're told, Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kirath Arba, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. I'll just stop there and go, aren't you surprised that God made it possible for when Jacob finally came back around home, Isaac's still alive. You have the sense when Jacob is dispensing, I mean, when Isaac is dispensing his blessings that Isaac's about to die. That's when you dispense your blessings as you're nearing the end of your life. And yet Isaac is totally wrong. There are decades more of Isaac's life still ahead of him, even though he is dispensing the blessings, thinking his time is short. He already can't see. And yet he has far more time. And Jacob is going to get to see his father again. And so in verse 27, Jacob is able to come home and sees Isaac. Verse 28, Isaac lived 180 years. I can't help but wonder if God did that so that Jacob can make this journey all the way back around again and be full circle. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. Listen to it. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Who would have thought that would have happened? When Jacob had left home, Esau wanted to kill him. A couple of chapters ago, when Jacob's trying to make his way back to Canaan, God has him go through Edom to meet Esau. And Jacob thinks Esau's going to kill him then. And amazingly, God is with him and causes that reconciliation so that when Isaac dies, the two of them are able to be there and are able to be with the father as he dies. Not only that, I want you to notice that this reconciliation seemed to last at the time. In chapter 36, don't, definitely don't have time to read all the names of Esau's descendants, and I'm grateful for that. But I want you to notice in verse 6, it says that Esau took his wives, sons, and daughters, and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock, and all of his other animals, and all the goods that he had acquired in Canaan, and he moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Why did he do that? Look at verse 7. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. God is blessing Jacob. He's blessing Esau. And they're doing so well that they go, we can't even be in the same land anymore because our possessions are so great and our animals are so great that they're on top of each other and there's not enough land for all of us. And the reason for the separation is not because of what happened all the way back in chapters 27 and 28, but rather because God has brought them to this amazing point. I don't believe that Jacob thought that his journey would end 
coming back home, seeing his father's face, being reconciled to his brother, and both of them enjoying the prosperity and the blessings of God. I can't believe that possibly could have been what he thought when he was on the run for his life. But it emphasizes this fourth point. Running from home and all that was going to happen was just the beginning of what God had in store for him. And he had no idea that decades upon decades upon decades later, the end of the journey would look like this. So my fourth point is be ready to finish the long journey because you don't know how God's going to finish yours either. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us the story of Jacob's life and to be able to see your hand and how you carried him through. Even though his sins were self-inflicted and his difficulties in his life, so much of the things early on was because of what he had done himself. As you were faithful, you were with him, and you took care of him, and you blessed him, and you brought him back home. And Lord, I pray that we would hold on to a similar faith. Lord, give us the faith to go where you want us to go and purge the things in our life that you are trying to get out of our hands and out of our hearts as we go on this journey. But help us to see that you are with us every step of the way and help us to worship you because of that. And Lord, I pray that when the times are dark, And there are times when it feels like that you're not with us, that not only that we would see and understand that you are with us, but that we would also know that we don't know how you're going to end our story and that you are able to transform amazing things and do things that are beyond our comprehension, outside of what we could possibly believe. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that. Help us to see that you can reverse any situation Help us to see how you can restore any condition. Help us to know that we don't know what you have in store for us. But we will walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to your Lord and Savior tonight. That this would be your opportunity to look at your life and see how God has carried you every step of the way and there are so many times in life where it just doesn't feel like it and there's a lot of things in life that hurt but I hope you'll think about how God has brought you here and how he's gotten you through the past times and how he's promised to get you through more things ahead can we help you in that walk can we help you move toward God in a better way so that you'd be more faithful to him We'll give you that opportunity to do that now. Sanford's going to come forward and we're going to sing this song while we stand and and while we sing.